Last week, we talked about uh, how plans can change. How Mary uh, was just uh, a little engaged young lady getting ready to be married. And, and then all of a sudden, Gabriel, the angel of God, shows up in her house and begins to talk to her about a change of plans. If I had a nickel for every time Gabriel showed up at my house and gave me a change of plans, I wouldn't have any money. But it happened with her. So we got to be flexible enough for plans to change. The holiday season, if you're not ready for your plans to change, I, I almost missed church this morning. Because I had to run that marathon, and then I, and then I had to take a shower, and then I had to, you know, eat five bananas to get my electrolytes back up. I didn't run into that, I didn't run that marathon, I ran into that marathon. Boy, I was, I was seeing them drive by, and I tell you what, I don't know if there's joy in running, but none of them were experiencing it. God bless all of them that do it. I have good friends that do that, but I'm telling you, I was like, whoa. I mean, I was looking to see what's chasing them because it had to be big and scary. But plans can change. And if you're not ready for plans to change, I, mean, I say it like this, you have to build a little margin in your life. Sometimes my wife and I, it, it, we have conversations and I say, I need more margin. Not with her, not from her, but from everything else because of the family is my number one priority. So we'll have a conversation. I say, I know I, I'm moving from one thing to one thing uh, too quickly. I need some margin in my life. Uh, if, if, if you're a, a cowboy or have been around cowboys, you would say, you know, you need some land yap. You need some extra rope. You need something else to work with. Because if you're constantly going from A to B to C and you've got no margin for error in the middle, when one thing happens, you're either going to be stealing from A, stealing from B, or robbing from both. You've got to have some margin in your life. You've got to have a little wiggle room. That works in your finances, but it works with your time. It works with your, your compassion level. You gotta, you gotta give people some margin. Somebody's gonna say something to you this holiday season, and it might be somebody that you really love, and you're gonna have the opportunity to give them the benefit of the doubt, or to fly off the handle at them. You gotta give them a little margin. You, you gotta give them a little room to work, a little area to work. So in your life and my life, as we make our plans, we have to build in some margin. We got to build in some wiggle room. Something happens, something changes. It shouldn't knock you off your rocker for the next six weeks. If somebody was supposed to bring the turkey or, or the ham and they called you and decided that they're going to bring uh, the peas and the carrots instead, that shouldn't throw you for a loop for the next six months. No, they're not out to get you. They, they just don't want to cook the ham and the turkey. You got to have a little margin. <laughs> ham and turkey's expensive. Y'all been in the grocery store lately? Whew. But it's different when you live for God. You've you got to be ready for some change. You've got to be ready to adjust. I remember not too long ago, I was driving down the road, and there was a guy pushing his car down the side of the road. And, and, and I, thought, I thought, man, it, that guy, I, I could see where he was going, and he only was going to go about 20 more feet, or I would have stopped. <laughs> but I drive by, and my little boy goes, Woo. Dad, that guy needs help. We got to stop. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> I turned around and, you know, in the 10 seconds that it took for me to get there, the guy had already parked and was 
good to go. No, I've already called everybody in to go. Everything was fine. But if you don't have a little margin in your life, you can't help the person you want to help because you're constantly worried about you and your stuff. You know, there's something real powerful in the word no. Most of the time, kids don't like it. Most of the time, we don't like it because we're really just bigger kids. But sometimes in your life and in my life, it's imperative that you get yourself to the place where you can say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I just, I just don't have time. Now, in your mind, you have to understand, you may be picturing the amount of time that you have, but listen to this. Every minute that you volunteer your life to be somewhere away from your family is a minute that you volunteered your family to be away from you. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And I, I, we love all things charitable and we get involved. We, our kids, we do things uh, corporately as a church and then our family, we do things that we'll never talk about uh, just in the way of charity, in the way of giving, loving our neighbors, that we teach our children. But there's plenty of things that I get asked to do, that Crystal gets asked to do, uh, that people I know, that we just go, no, I'm sorry, we, we just can't make that happen. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to sit at the kitchen table and I'm going to play Pictionary with my kids. Well, I thought you said you couldn't. I can't. I've got an appointment with my children playing Pictionary. What do you mean, Pictionary? My children I will have for 18 years each, give or take. And I'm not going to give that time up for anybody or anything. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not exceptions. That doesn't mean that there's not seasons. When we first bought this church building uh, in September, the, within 24 hours... From the time we signed the papers, this building looked like a kicked ant bed on a hot day. Just stuff going everywhere. People going everywhere. I think I slept about three hours a night for the first two weeks. Getting this proper, trying to do everything I can with so many wonderful people helping. Trying, we were doing everything we could to get this place ready to have church in it on our first day. That doesn't mean there's not season where those things happen. But at the same time, the standard in your life has got to be that you build some margin in so that your family doesn't pay the price for everything that you volunteer or choose to do. It's different when you live for God and you do it with a purpose, when you do it with a family, when you do it with an eternal mindset. You see, whenever you, you, you do anything for God, whenever you do anything for God's kingdom, it's an eternal thing. There will be people in heaven that will walk up and introduce yourself. They will introduce themselves to you and you will have never met them, but they will be born again. They will be washed by the blood of Jesus. They will be changed. Their life will be changed because of the giving to this house. And then this house then extends its hand outside the, the realms of the Brazos Valley all over the world. We've already sent out over $100,000 just to missions and different ministries and different things like that. Now we're a giving church. So in your life and in my life, you got to understand, when it's an eternal thing, it's worth going full bore. So when your family involved, and it doesn't matter where you are with your family, if it's you and your mom, if it's your mom and you, if it's your dad and just one person, if it's your cousin, if, you, if, if bless God, you lost your mom and dad, whatever your unit is, you've got to work right there with it. And you've got to get right on that gospel train, right where you are, and get headed down the right path and begin to push things in the right direction. And then you set aside everything and you say, listen, I'm going to do all these other things, but I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the first call to arms for every Christian is to make sure that their family 
family is built up and nourished and encouraged and all those powerful things. Because listen to me, where the family goes, so goes the nation. That's what's happening in America today. The family has been set by the wayside. Now listen, uh, used to, I would hear this all the time, and I would hear, you know, a family is a father and a mother and children and a white picket fence and, and on and on and on. And I agree, that can be a family. But, but then I also, I would always hear and I would think, well, what about the single mom that hears that? Does she think, is she not a family? No, God loves that single mother so much that He chose literally, He chose literally to send His only Son through a single mother when it first started. So it doesn't matter where you are in the gamut of life, whether you have the picture-perfect family unit, and I put that in quotation marks because it doesn't exist, and if you don't believe me, show up at my house around bath time. You got the picture-perfect family unit, you got 17 decisions that put you in a different spot. Uh, tragedy has happened in you. Listen, God can take whatever mess you bring Him. He will mix it up and He will cause all things to work together for your good in Jesus' name. Luke chapter number 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent unto God to the city of Galilee, uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the angel Gabriel was sent in the sixth month, and that is of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. Elizabeth's pregnancy is Mary's cousin who was pregnant with John the Baptist. So she was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And Gabriel was sent to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Joseph was a carpenter. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now it's very, very, very important that Mary was a virgin. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled. I, I think we would all agree it could be shocking to look up in your kitchen whenever you're standing there making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and see an angel of God uh, that looks at you and says, Hail, you're highly favored. It could be a, a bit of a breathtaking moment. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at a saying cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. What is he talking about? And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, fear not, for you have found favor with God. Favor can take you places that nothing else in your life can take you. Favor is the unadulterated opportunity that God gives every believer if they will simply believe what God's word says. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he should be called, uh, his name shall be called Jesus. Mary's there. The angel walks in. Mary's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Gabriel says, uh, Hey, Mary, you found favor. And Mary is troubled at the saying, oh, what's going on here? I don't know how to deal with this. And he said, no, 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 don't be scared, Mary. This Christmas season, I don't want you to be scared of anything. I don't want you to be scared of, well, what if I don't say the right thing? I don't want you to be scared of that, uh, that, that family member coming to your house saying the wrong thing. Who cares if they say the wrong thing? We're going to let it roll off our back like water off a duck's back. I don't care what they say. I don't, I don't want you to be scared of a thing. I don't want you to live in fear. Listen, it's a daily decision. So I'm not living. I don't want you to be scared of some uh, uh, heathen terrorist. 
I don't want you to be... No, there's no fear in the body of Christ. The Bible says that He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So anytime I even sense fear coming around me, I rise up in my inner man and I say, no, 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 I got power, love, and a sound mind. You give that fear to somebody else. No fear. No fear. No fear in the marriage. Oh, well, I don't know what will happen if I do this. Well, listen to me. If you'll love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, you won't have to worry about your marriage. If you'll pursue her like you pursued her before she said yes at the altar, you won't have to worry about your marriage. If you'll quit trying to find excuses to get away from your family and start making reasons and excuses to get to your family, you won't have to worry about how your family dynamic works out. There's something about living for God that when you just decide, I'm not going to live in fear, I'm going to press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of Christ, everything begins to shift. The whole situation can turn around in a moment, in an instant, in a breath, in the twinkling of an eye. Your entire situation can change. One scripture says, a sudden good break can shift your whole life. What if that family member comes? You've argued with them every time they've come in your house. You've argued with them every time they've come in your house. You've decided to gossip with them every time you've gone to their house. You've decided to get right back in that stuff. And somewhere when they say it, you go, well, bless God, let's just pray for them. What if today is the sudden good break in their life and God uses you to bring it about? There's something about living for God that changes everything. But Gabriel said, fear not, there's a baby... You're going to have a baby and you're going to call his name Jesus and he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. There's no end to Jesus' kingdom. Gabriel comes in and tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. God's going to overshadow you. You're going to conceive. It's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, one-third of God. The Holy Ghost is going to uh, make a baby on the inside of you. Aren't you glad that no abortion clinic convinced Elizabeth or Mary that their baby was a mistake and was going to ruin their life? No baby has ever ruined anybody's life, ever. Babies can be unexpected. They can be the product of a good decision. They can be the product of a potentially uncertain decision. But that baby, not one baby that's ever been born, never, 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 not one time has a baby ever ruined somebody's life. It will change your life. Listen to me. If you're the white picket fence family and everything's hunky-dory, that baby is still going to change your life. If, you're, if it's before you were wanting to and it's, you had all these plans and, and everything shifted in a moment when that test told you something, that baby will still change your life. But a baby has never, 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 ever ruined somebody's life. The only thing babies do is come in this world and look to be loved. Except one who came in this world and looked to love. 
Never, ever, never, never, never has a baby ever ruined somebody's life. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. God himself is going to make you pregnant. You're going to have a baby. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to do all kind of powerful things. He's going to reign over the house of David and his kingdom will be, will have no end. To understand who Jesus is, you have to understand why he is the one. You have to understand why Jesus is the one uh, uh, individual, the one unit that could have done anything about your problems and my problems. All through our scripture, we see types and shadows. We see forms. We see prophecies. We see little, uh, we see little indicators of what Jesus is going to be like. One of the greatest indicators of what Jesus is going to be like comes from the guy uh, that we call Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham is the father of many nations. The Bible says that Abraham, he, he's kind of the first one to get the covenant between God and the Jews. And literally everybody that's Jewish looks back to Abraham and they call themselves sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. When I was in uh, uh, children's church, when I was in Sunday school, we would sing a song and it would go like this. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I'm one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right hand. It was a great song. But we all go back to Abraham because Abraham, he found favor, he found grace, and the Bible says that he was justified by faith. Literally, God spoke to him, said, I want to take you to a place, I'm going to give you land, you're going to have descendants. As many as there are stars in the sky, as many as there is sand in the desert, you're going to have descendants, Abraham. His name was Abram at the time, but for simplicity, we'll just stick with Abraham. And he goes on and he, he, he's talking to God and God keeps having these conversations with him. And what was really interesting about it is he told him, he goes, you're going to have so many kids, Abraham. You're going to look at the stars and it's going to be like, that's how many kids you're going to have. But the problem was, is Abraham was married to a lady named Sarah and him and Sarah were having trouble having one baby. But Abraham kept having the same confession. Month after month, Sarah would take the test and the test would come back negative. Month after month, Sarah would take the test and it wouldn't work. But Abraham would go to church every Sunday. He would stand at the pulpit and he would say, God's going to give me children like the stars in the sky. He wasn't saying it because he saw it. He was saying it because God said it. If you say what you see, you're no different than a camera. But if you will say what you do not see because God says it, you will see what God says come to pass in your life. Amen. He began to speak and prophesy, I'm going to have children like the stars of the sky. And before you knew it, before you know it, people started to go, man, this Abraham guy, he's a little bit off his rocker. I understand, but he's also starting to get up in age. And then Sarah, his wife, who I believe with good intentions, decided, hey, let's, let's figure out a different way. So she sent this lady who worked for him, Hagar, in to visit Abraham. And, and, and she had a baby, and the baby's name was Ishmael. And they thought, man, here we go. And Abraham loved Ishmael. And he thought, man, now I'm going to have a nation. I'm going to have all these things that God's prophesied. And I just can't, I, I can't believe it took uh, Sarah so long to recognize that I needed a Hagar coming in here. And God came to Abraham and said, that's not what I said. You and Sarah are going to have a child. 
And from the amount of stars in the sky, that's the closest reference that you'll be able to have to measure how many descendants that you guys are going to have. And I personally don't need your help. I don't need you trying to add to my recipe. I don't need you trying to, to dictate everything based off what you think should happen because I've got a plan. And Abraham, if you'll just follow the plan, everything's going to be all right. Abraham goes, oh my goodness gracious, I didn't realize we were outside the plan. And God does something real interesting. He says, Abraham, he says, what I need you to do, now this is after Ishmael's born. He said, as a sign of the covenant, I'm going to need you to be circumcised and circumcise everybody in your house. Anytime you see that in the scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, New Testament talks about the circumcision of the heart. But anytime you, you see that in the scripture, it's always talking about the flesh being removed from the equation. So God says to Abraham, who had Ishmael at 86 years old, He says, here's the thing. He says, you're going to have to be circumcised. And as soon as he gets circumcised, Sarah gets pregnant. Now, Abraham is 100 years old. Things begin to shift. So what can we see about this situation? Number one, God says, I'm going to deliver a son of the promise but I need your flesh out of the way before I do. Jesus was born to a virgin. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 3 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman is very important because if you know anything about reproduction, I'm not trying to teach an anatomy class today, but if you know anything about reproduction, women don't have seed, men have seed. So for God to say the seed of the woman, he's trying to let us know something. There's something special going to happen. Now we look back because history has let us know. It's called the Immaculate Conception where the seed of the woman that did not need the seed of man was going to rise up and crush the head of the serpent. She had to be a virgin. Because if not, the Bible says everybody born after Adam is born into sin. We are all marred and stained by the DNA of Adam himself who literally uh, sinned against God. Therefore, it could not be the blood of a man that would cause anything positive to happen in the equation. God needed it. He had it. It had to come through Mary because it had to come through a virgin because it was going to be the seed of the woman which didn't have the seed of man that was going to bruise the head of the serpent. So Abraham now gets to a place He's got Ishmael, who, who, who's, who's, you know, giving him some, some grief. He's got Isaac raising up, and he's going, yes, this is the son of the promise. Just like with Mary, it, there, there couldn't be any flesh of men, so to speak, in the way. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the boy gets old enough to carry some, some, some limbs and some boards... God said, you love Isaac, right? Oh, I love Isaac. Thank you for giving him to me. Can't wait. Going to be like the stars of the sky. Can't wait. I want you to take him up a hill and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham, who had tried it his way before with Hagar and created a mess, knew it was better to trust God than it was to always try to figure out the details. And the Bible says in Genesis, round chapter 21, that they took the wood for the offering and they put it on Isaac's back. I know another man who carried some wood up a rock hill by himself. And Isaac carried the wood up that rock hill, but Isaac was smart 
just like all of our children are smart. And he says, Daddy, I see the wood. We got the fire. But I don't see the sacrifice. I could not imagine that moment as a father. Undoubtedly, Abraham's heart was broken in half when God told him to do it. And he said to him prophetically, Isaac, baby, God will provide a lamb. They carried the stuff up the hill. They get to the moment when Abraham is about to see his own son die. And the hand of God stops him. It says, look right over here. And there was a ram, a sacrifice, hung up in the bushes, his horns caught in the bushes, the thorns. Can you picture anyone else with their head wrapped in thorns? He pulls his son off the sacrifice table, sacrifices the ram, and Abraham, and God says to Abraham, I'll paraphrase, I know I can trust you with my covenant. Because you trust me with your son. God says the same thing today. He wants to know what you will do, not with your son, but his son. He carried the beams up a rock hill only to be sacrificed. And there was no ram in the bushes for Jesus. He was the lamb that Abraham prophesied. But the key is this. If you want to live in the peace of God, if you want to see God's plan come to pass in your life, you have to, you must, it is not an option, you have to get the flesh out of the way. You will not live a life in victory if you live offended. You will not live a life in victory if you're quick to anger. You will not live a life in victory if you're constantly letting your flesh have the better. Jesus said it like this, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And he's not talking about pulling your eye out. He's saying if there's an area in your life where you struggle, that is an area of your life that should be cut off. The flesh is something that we all have. It's something that we all deal with. Our spirit man is completely redeemed. Our flesh is constantly pulling at our mind, our will, our emotions, our soul to try to take us in the direction that God would not have us go. This is the area of our life that cannot be negotiated with. It cannot be tolerated. And it absolutely, if you want to live in the peace of God, it cannot be toyed with. You play with sin, and sin will make a fool out of you. You try a little bit, and the devil will take everything you've got. When you say yes to Jesus, it is a no-strings-attached opportunity for you to come into the resting, merciful arms of God. But when you do, but when you do, responsibility begins to come on your shoulders, not 
as if God is trying to throw you into hell. But the responsibility is simply to join in the fight that your brothers and sisters in the Lord have joined in before you. It's different when you live for God than it is when you're just living. But what Abraham and Isaac show us, it could not have been Ishmael to go up the mountain because Ishmael, the seed, had to pass through the flesh. It had to come after the flesh had been removed, which is exactly to say it could have been no one else but Jesus. He's the only one. They say there's about 108 billion people who have been on planet Earth from the time of creation. 108 billion. And there has been only one who was legally and literally, uh, legally had the opportunity, could even have made a difference with his sacrifice. Now to put it in perspective, uh, I read an article the other day and it said that one out of 10,000 people if given one year to diligently train, could run a four-minute mile. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm probably not in that group. (laughs) One out of 10,000. If you want to look at blood types, 38% is A, is, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it. 38% is O positive. 7% 7% is O negative. A positive, 34%. 34 out of 100 people. A negative, 6%. Get all the way down to AB negative and 1% of the population uh, has AB negative blood. So in the natural, if you ever needed a blood transfusion, only 1 out of 100 people, if you're AB negative, are even an option to help you. And Jesus is 1 out of 108 billion people that have breathed oxygen on planet earth who had the right blood type that had not passed through the flesh that was born of a virgin that was willing to carry the rocks that was willing to carry the boards up a hill and be sacrificed for you and for me one out of a hundred and eight billion aren't you glad he didn't say no he's the only one This is systematic. The Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. Jesus is not plan B for you and for me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No, it's not just an argument about Him versus Buddha. They are completely disqualified because they are not simply the seed of the woman. They can't do anything for you. everybody else is completely out of the picture because they're not one in a hundred and eight billion one now here's where it comes in for you and for me Isaiah 9 uh, verse 6 and verse 7 one of the most popular and powerful uh, uh, prophecies of, of Christ's birth says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, everybody say government, shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, everybody say government, and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
The government shall be upon his shoulder. Unto us a child is born a son. The government, the government, the government. This is not talking about Congress. This is not talking about the presidency. This is not talking about the state Congress. This is not talking about any form of government. This is talking about the authority and listen to this and the responsibility. Now the problem and the reason a lot of us we don't walk in peace especially during the holidays is because we're trying to take responsibility that we're not capable of carrying. There is only one who could carry the load. There's only one who could handle the, the, the responsibility of sin and death. There is only one who has ever been, who could, who did, and would again if it was necessary. There's only one. And you and me, we get to this place where we, we start to look at our, our peace and our joy and our hope and we put it on our own shoulders. And if you don't have somebody beating you up in life, telling you you're no good or, or otherwise, you spend the day looking in the mirror beating yourself up. I can't, I should have done better. I should have this. I should have that. Listen, it, it, it would literally be verbal abuse if we could sometimes play the thoughts that we think about ourselves in our mind. We're looking at, at what we didn't do. And we, we, we were constantly reminded about what we messed up and how we missed it. And our whole life is just riddled with those things. And we sit there and we beat ourselves up and we beat And we want to take all this responsibility for it. And we put it on our shoulder, put it on our shoulder until we can't even stand up straight anymore. And the prophet Isaiah knew this was going to happen. And that's why he said the government, the responsibility will be on his shoulders. Verse 7 says the increase of it will be on his shoulders too. When it begins to really weigh you down and load you down. And I don't know of another season that's better than Christmas. But I'm here to tell you it can be stressful. When the responsibility that you feel begins to show. I didn't plan for this. It was, it was one night. I, I didn't know it was going to change my life forever. And the responsibility just pushes on you and holds you down. We've been taught our whole life, I'll pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm a big believer in that. But there's a load you can't carry because if you could have, he wouldn't have had to die for you. There's a place in God where you can cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And it's not like you're giving Him something He can't handle. You're giving Him something that you can't handle. When my kids come to me and they say, Daddy, I need you. I feel like, 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 like Superman or something. I got to get a cape. I'm immediately ready to run to their rescue, run to their aid. The other day we had like three things happen in two days where they were bleeding everywhere. Kids just bleeding. Can I just say, when, when, when your kid comes to you bleeding, if you're a good parent, the first thing you say is not, did you do something wrong to get hurt? 
No, you just try to mend the wound. We can fix right and wrong later. But let's fix the hurt. Now, I'm not here condoning any lifestyles, any actions. I'm just here to tell you, I don't care where you are on the side of that gospel train. You get on board where you're at and watch God heal you. Watch God minister to you. Watch God change you from the inside out. Watch Him shift everything in your life. You can't carry it. You cannot. One out of 108 billion was capable. And He did. When he was nailed to that tree, our sin was nailed to that tree. When that stone bounced out of the way and he walked out, we got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and we have nothing, and I mean nothing, to fear in the name of Jesus. But if you want peace at Christmas time, you're going to have to get out of the idea that the government is on your shoulders. It's not. If the devil can't get you with sin, he'll get you with righteousness. If he can't convince you to go get involved in a bunch of nonsense, he'll convince you that you've got you've to be the one on the cross. No, you don't have to be the one on the cross. You get to be the one that benefits from the cross. The government is on his sh- The responsibility is on his shoulders. It's when you try to take that load and put it on your shoulders that we get to the place where we don't feel like we can walk and we certainly can't run. And if you can't run, how can you do what the Scripture says and run your race? Matthew 11. I'm going to close with this. I'll read it in the New English translation. It's a more modern translation of the Scripture. Come to me. I can't tell you how this scripture helps me in my life. I wish I could explain how I feel when I read a scripture where the Son of God is saying, come to me. If anybody could have, he could have said, leave me alone. Get away from me. But he says, come to me. A handful of you, a couple of you, all of you. If the scripture is excluding people, then you got a wrong view of the scripture. The gospel is for everybody. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. I can hear him say it. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble. Gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotions. If we ever need rest, it's December, guys. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. The Bible says the responsibility of sin, death, hell, and the grave, all of your failures and shortcomings, all of your illnesses, all of the things that have come against you are on His shoulders.
And in the most miraculous exchange, Jesus bears our problems and then offers a light load and an easy yoke. When we are not experiencing the peace of God, it's when we are trying to take what does not belong to us, nor are we capable of carrying. One out of a hundred and eight billion. And if you want to feel real special, the Bible says to you, He stands at the door and knocks. Out of 108 billion people, He still finds you. He still comes where you are. He still calls you to a place. He still reminds you who you are in Christ. He still brings you to the place of peace when nothing else can During the holiday season, our our plans can just change in a moment. Like Mary, like Joseph. We didn't even talk about Joseph. Could you imagine Joseph's plans? I can't wait, Mary. I've been waiting to marry Mary for so long. It's going to be amazing. You're pregnant by God. Yeah, right, Mary. (laughs) Plans can change like But if you try to carry the load, you'll find yourself carrying something you were incapable to carry all along. But if you'll cast your cares on Him, and you'll take His easy yoke and His light burden, no, no, you'll find the rest that's found only in Christ. Stand to your feet, please.